Well, Acts chapter 9, I'm going to read from verses 1 to 19. Acts chapter 9, we're looking at the book of Acts in our morning service. And we've, the title of the sermon is simply this, Saul's Conversion. Saul's Conversion. This is not King Saul from the Old Testament. Uh, this is a man called Saul of Tarsus, whose name later changed. Or, well, his name didn't change, but he took upon himself another name that he had. He had several names, and one was Paul. So he didn't, I used to think as a young Christian that he, he knocked off the S and put a P there. I thought that's helpful. But where he was from, Saul of Tarsus, he was a Roman citizen. He was fluent in a number of languages. And it was very common for Jews there to firstly have a Hebrew name and also to have a, a Greek name as well. And Paul was his Greek name. But this is referred to the man who becomes the apostle Paul. But let's hear the word of God. Chapter 9, verse 1. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, that he might bring them, bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and to the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him, so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. Verse 15, But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel for I will show you how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. 
So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. Well, it's, it's a joy to preach on this conversion, but before we get to the conversion, let's just wait a moment, before, and I won't give all the headings, I'll give them one at a time for us this morning, uh, to keep you on the edge of your toes a little bit. Um, but let me just say the first thing is, is, is we think before we get to Acts 9, What's happened beforehand is that a man called Jesus of Nazareth trained how many men? He trained 12 men. He trained others, but he trained 12 men, and and they were then uh, to become apostles. One fell by the wayside who was replaced, as we know, in Acts chapter 1. But in some way, the hopes of the Messiah were shattered. Why were they shattered? Because uh, this man was nailed to a Roman cross and was there dying on a cross. Most likely he was naked, humiliated, shamed. And you think, is this God's son? But on the third day, he was raised from the dead. Jesus lives. And then there were another 40 days after that, which must have been an emotional roller coaster for the apostles. You know, Jesus walking on the road to Emmaus. Remember that story? On the road to Emmaus, Uh, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures things concerning himself. And after 40 days, they're then convened on the Mount of Olives, and Jesus gives them this command to be witnesses to him while he's going up into heaven. And there will have been questions in many people's minds, uh, not necessarily the disciples, but of people watching on, is this man Jesus of Nazareth, is he just another shooting star, a leader who arises, and then in a few years' time, people will forget about him? He'd given a promise that he would build his church and the gates of hell should not prevail against it. And when we've got as far as Acts chapter 9, what we're finding is the name of Jesus is spreading all over the place. The name of Jesus and, and also people witnessing that he's been raised from the dead. So by the beginning of chapter, uh, the beginning of chapter 9, the gospel's gone among the Samaritans. We heard last week about the Ethiopian eunuch and then the gospel going into the heart of Africa. This man's converted, the Ethiopian eunuch. He's baptized, but the problem is, is that they're facing havoc in the church because of the leadership of this man, Saul. And so our first heading is this, Saul's madness, Saul's madness. In 9 verse 1, it says, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So here is a man breathing threats. He was there standing and giving consent to the, the death and the martyrdom of Stephen. 
This man was a bit of a blue-eyed boy Pharisee disciple and uh, who sat at the feet of Gamaliel. And so what we're going to find is this man breathing out threats that God is going to save the biggest enemy at that moment in time against the church and then place him to become one of the main apostles in the history of the church. And so therefore, the conversion of this man's soul is one of the most famous conversions in the history of the church. It's so much so, Luke doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't orchestrate the events God Almighty does, but Luke has the opportunity to record them. This conversion is so important that in, he records about it, Luke, in chapter 9, which we're reading here. Also in chapter 22, when Paul has the chance to testify to the Jews. And then, are you ready, Agrippa? In chapter 26, he comes before King Agrippa, of all people, and testifies to him of his conversion. Now, we find in chapter 26 of the book of Acts, verse 11, Paul himself says, being zealous for God, I persecuted this way to death and in raging fury against them, that's against the Christians, I persecuted them to foreign cities. Foreign cities. And so here we see he's actually going to Damascus in a different country in Syria. So what do you make of the madness of Saul? Can you imagine him breathing out threats? Can you imagine him coming into your house? And arresting you, arresting your wife, arresting your children, who knows what, and dragging people off into prison. We're thankful that the Lord has the last word, and John Calvin says this of Saul in his pre-conversion state, that he was like a wild and ferocious beast. And a wonderful thing is when Jesus confronts him, he says, Saul, Saul. It is hard for you to kick against, the, kick against the goads. Now, we're not a church filled with farming folk here. Uh, if, I remember going to one meeting in Southern Ireland with the Reformed Presbyterian Church. It was a synod. And I remember it was, it was seemingly, oh, no, I can't quite say it was in the middle of nowhere, but as I looked out the window, there were Frisian cattle and other cows walking past the window. Uh, and so farming folk would understand this, but a goad is what, well, not quite a shepherd, but a cattle farmer would use with a point on there to get into the backside of the cow when it's not going the right direction to tell it to go in this direction. And Jesus uses this phrase and says to Saul, it's hard for you to kick against the pricks, against the goads. And so John Calvin describes uh, Saul and his madness to be a stubborn and unwilling young bullock and he was in direct opposition with Jesus Christ, who was the head of the church. So we're not betting people, and praise God for that. But who do you think is going to win, Jesus or Saul? Well, it's not simply another Ananias and Sapphira situation. This is much better. Because our first heading is the madness of Saul. And the second heading is that Saul meets Jesus. I mean, I could change the heading. We say with Calvinists, no, no, you couldn't have headings like that. You should have it, Jesus meets Saul. Whichever, uh, whichever way we call it, Jesus meets with Saul, and he is never, ever 
the same again. So our second heading is Saul meets Jesus. And so we see in chapter 9 and verse 3, now as he went on his way, Saul, this is he approached Damascus and suddenly, note the word, and suddenly, a light from heaven shone around him. And this is Saul, we don't know if he was on a horse or a donkey, we have no idea, and falling to the ground. Imagine that, that would be a shock in itself, wouldn't it, to be uh, supernaturally taken off your donkey or your horse uh, with this light around you falling to the ground and then he heard a voice and the voice says Saul Saul why are you persecuting me and then he asks the right question and and says who are you Lord and he said I am Jesus whom you are persecuting but rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do and the men traveling with him stood speechless hearing the voice but seeing no one so jesus meets saul now we need to just say first of all you know this is this is probably the most well-known of all conversions in the bible so saul's conversion in one way is not typical that there are similarities between his conversion and ours but if you sat here looking and thinking I've not really had such a dramatic conversion as this man has. Don't worry about that. The most important thing is, is that to be converted, you have to repent of your sin, but you also need to put your faith in Jesus Christ. And it's not like a league table. You know, we have the Olympics right now, and, and they have China's top of the table, and Russia's up there, and, and America, and who's got the most golds. This is not a competition in the church. Who's had the most dramatic conversion? No, it doesn't work like that. It's about putting our faith in Jesus Christ. But this man, Saul, he's not only completely changed by the power of Jesus, he's also called to be an apostle at the same time. Paul, or Saul as he is at the moment, he seems to learn things that takes most of us years to really grasp, such as your absolutely saved not by your own works but you're saved by the grace of god and all these kind of thoughts and doctrines he seems to learn very quickly and he's called to be an apostle and as a result of that the resurrected jesus meets him and paul says later on he was an apostle one born out of due time because here's another thing there are no apostles today there are no apostles today i don't know what your thoughts are of that one but let me just convince you biblically paul is not only converted and and made to become a christian but is also converted and to become an apostle he doesn't really fully understand all that now but he will later on especially when uh, jesus tells him that he's being called and he will suffer much so his damascus road conversion doesn't mean that that's how we've got to be converted but the bible teaches us that if we are converted the fruit we will bear will be this we will trust in the merits of christ alone for the forgiveness of sins is that what you trust in today the merits of christ alone for the gift of eternal life as a result we find that saul immediately begins to preach and we'll see that later on but but he joins himself to the church 
And so we see attendance at the means of grace, having a love for God through Christ alone. Do you have a love for God that's through Christ? Paul, well, he already had a hunger for the Word of God before, actually a hyper-zealous hunger for the Word of God, but now he experiences what he writes to the Corinthians later, that the veil is taken off his heart. So he has the same scriptures, but now he can see Jesus coming out of the scriptures that he couldn't before. Do you have a hunger for the Word of God? Because that's the mark of being a Christian. So here we see Saul is converted. But even though it says here in the Word of God, did you notice in verse 3, it says, and suddenly, suddenly a light came uh, from heaven and shone around him. Another thing about Saul's conversion is that though a light suddenly came, that there'd been a lot of work by the Holy Spirit for his pre-conversion preparing him. So I remember hearing years ago someone saying, unless you can tell me the day and the hour that you were converted, you're not a Christian. That is absolutely, completely false. This is, not, you know, it's not, a, again, a competition. Saul, he clearly could. He could say, I don't know what calendar they had back then. He could say, I was on the road to Damascus. I was in this spot when the light came around me. But then Lydia, for example, you know Lydia? Her heart was just simply open to the Lord. So being a Christian is not about knowing the day or the hour. It's about putting your faith in Christ. But Paul could say that. But if we think about Saul, keep on calling him Paul, who he is. We think about him. Remember he says in Philippians, he was circumcised on the eighth day. So he took upon him, uh, was given the sign of covenant. He was part of the people of Israel. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, but yet there was a veil over him But as he gets closer to his conversion, the Holy Spirit begins to intensify the work upon him. So much so, there was a man called Stephen, which we were looking at recently, Stephen the deacon, who who was preaching, and it says in Acts that the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And so this, this man, Stephen, one of his last works that God privileged him with was to be a shining light to a man who would become a shining light apostle. And so Saul, he heard this man as he was dying saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit and Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Now, of course, I can't say it the way he would have obviously said it as he was being stoned to death and stones are raining down on his head. But he heard the voice of Stephen as he was being martyred. We've spoken about the Democratic Republic of Congo. They have faced, it just in the last century, in the 1960s, hosts of Christians who were martyred for the gospel. But here we see for Saul, he had this witness who was Stephen. And yet it was the sovereign grace of God that saved Saul. And it's that same grace that saves everyone. Why? The reason why Saul is converted 
is that God met with him. Has God met with you? Do you have friends that you, they prod you sometimes? Well, well, why have you become a Christian? And you try to explain this and that and the other. And you say, well, I was perhaps, I was wondering about what's the meaning of life. And, and then they turn around to you one day and they say, well, I've, I've never thought about that. And you think, well, why have you been saved and why have you been thinking about that? But those kind of thoughts have not come across their mind. And Jesus gives us the answer why a Christian is a Christian. And it's John 6, 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. And on this day, God the Father, actually directly through Jesus and by the Holy Spirit, drew Saul into the kingdom of God. Who would have thought? Who could have written this book? Who could have written this plan? That the biggest persecutor of the church is now struck down off his animal and Jesus meets with him. He says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And so we find how the Lord humbles him. We find in verse 4, it says this, and falling to the ground, that's his first downward step. He's brought down to the ground. In verse 8, it says, Saul rose from the ground. So Jesus spoken to him. What's he going to see? And although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. Imagine that. Saul is now looking. His eyelids are not closed. But he can no longer see anything whatsoever. Why? Because faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. He's heard the word of God directly. And then in verse 9, he humbles himself because it says, and for three days he was without sight and he neither ate nor drank. He's fasting, waiting upon the Lord. And so here now we can rejoice that this man, Saul of Tarsus, is converted. But what's the next installment for us? What's the next heading going to be? Well, the, the third heading is this. It's a man that we don't know a lot about. And the third heading is the courage of Ananias. Ananias. So let's look at verse 10 for a moment. It says this. It's the third heading. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. That's similar to uh, what the... Uh, how Saul ended up responding and the Lord said to him rise and go to the street called straight do you know that in Damascus to this day there is a street called straight it's kind of a Damascus I've never been there but friends who, who, who work there tell me it's, it's kind of a very ancient city and this street called straight is still there to this day the street called straight uh, God says to him and he needed to look, go to the house of Judas and look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he may regain his sight. Well, if you put yourself that you're Ananias and God says this to you, how do you think you might respond? Because Ananias... 
he knows about the story of Saul of Tarsus. He's the big shot in Jerusalem is going all over the place, creating havoc wherever he goes, arresting Christians, attacking them, persecuting them, doing all kinds of horrible things. Is that the kind of word you'd want God to speak to you? And let's see about Ananias, because he, he's something, I would say, of an unsung hero. We never hear him again after this event. But we hear of him now. Why? Who was he? Well, it says in verse 10, now there was a disciple at Damascus. Well, what a wonderful thing. He's described as a disciple. That's a disciple of Jesus Christ. There's nothing better than to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Would you agree? There's nothing better than to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so he is a disciple which is all we should aspire to be, not to be more, not to be less. And we know very little of this man after this, but we learn of his courage. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. He said, here I am, Lord. And then the Lord tells him to go to this street where there'll be Saul of Tarsus. And remember, he's not read the book of Acts at this point. He's not read what happens. He doesn't know what's happened. He knows, though, of Saul of Tarsus. And so he responds in an honest way in verse 13. How do you think he's going to respond? The same way you and I would if we were, had our senses about us in verse 13. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. In other words, what's going to happen to me when I go to this street and, and walk through uh, into the house to meet this man? And the Lord pastors him in a wonderful way and gives, gives Ananias information that we live with to this day. And the Lord says this to Ananias, Go. For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And so just in verse 15 alone, we could preach a sermon, couldn't we? What could we preach about? Well, this man Saul is a chosen instrument of the Lord. We could preach about the fact that he will bear testimony uh, among Gentiles, among kings, and among the children of Israel, which he did. We could preach another aspect that Saul would then learn, it says in verse 16, that how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And has there been many instruments in the history of the church who've suffered as much as Saul did? So much so, he says in 2 Corinthians, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Whatever you and I faced, Jesus faced, faced it, but so did Saul. He, he was united to Christ and, and knew what it was to fellowship with the sufferings of Christ. It's just almost amazing what the Lord discloses to this man, Ananias. So what would your response be now? How would you respond? Would it take courage to respond to what the Lord has still given him? Again, 
we're looking back now, 2,000 years later, that we have all the different 13 or so letters of Paul. We've got the fruit of the end of it. But don't remember, uh, you know, Ananias, we wouldn't forgive him if his knees were quaking and trembling as he goes down the street to look for this man. And so we see Ananias' courage. Ananias' courage. In verse 13, how does he respond? Ananias answered, Lord, uh, sorry, not verse 13, verse 17. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul. Let me just stop there for a moment. Brother Saul. We don't see him any conversation that he may have had, but what we say, he obeys the Lord. What a difference between Ananias and Jonah. Remember how the Lord spoke to Jonah and said, I want you to go to Nineveh? And preach and he went in the opposite direction the Lord speaks to this disciple of the Lord Ananias Ananias and says go for he's a chosen instrument and that's what he did the courage of Ananias who then came to him and said brother Saul the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. What a wonderful gospel that we have. And that Saul, this man who had all the credentials, is learning already that he cannot move forward without the help of the church and without the help of Christians, and in this case, without the help of Ananias. We saw in the previous chapter the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch. An angel was involved initially, but God used uh, Philip to preach the gospel to him. And so here God, Jesus himself, has brought Saul low, but a Christian is needed to minister to him, and it's this man, Ananias, who faithfully calls him Brother Saul. He didn't argue with the Lord, but he went. And it says, at the end of this, it says, and immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. I don't know what it must be like. Have you ever lost your voice at all? Not, not a bit croaky, but completely lost your voice, so you can't speak. So when you open your mouth, it comes out. Have you ever had that experience? I have had that before. And um, I was in hospital and a number of years ago asking them, having to write down, thinking, what on earth has happened? And it, it turned out it was a, a virus. And it's a scary thing to have nothing coming out, literally, you can't make any noises. Likewise, can you imagine your eyes being wide open and you cannot see a thing? That's humbling. And there this man comes. He lays hands on him and it says, and something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. And who was the first person he saw? He saw this man who called him Brother Saul. It was Ananias, courageous Ananias. 
an unsung hero. So let's remember, being faithful to God in small things, who knows what they may lead to with the hand of God in the years ahead. Our first heading was Saul's madness. Saul's madness. Our second heading was Saul meets Jesus. Saul meets Jesus. Thirdly is Ananias, the disciple. And our last heading is this, Saul is baptized. And if you look with me in chapter 9, is it 19, just a moment? Yeah, 18 and 19. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he arose and was baptized. And taking food, he was strengthened. I mean, it's, it's like, this is just fabulous. Here's this enemy of the church who's breathing out threats at the beginning of the story. And it finishes off, moves on later on, but it finishes off, Saul was baptized. We know from the history of the church that the triune name of God has always been used in baptism. As Jesus said, he was baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It starts off breathing threats. He's now baptized and added to the church. What do we call that? Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was blind but now i can see and that was written by a man called john newton who himself was a slave trader and a friend of mine who was a captain of, of of a ship read the testimony of the salvation of john newton he said to me kevin i don't think there was a single sin that john newton did not commit before he was converted what effect did that have on john newton that he was a man who loved the truth about the grace of God saving us. What about Saul of Tarsus? I mean, the, the list of sins that he committed before he was converted, no wonder he would glory in the grace of the gospel. No wonder he'd always talk about the grace of the gospel so that we know that we're not saved by our own works, but we're saved by the grace of God. If God could have let him carry on to everlasting punishment. But yet God removed the scales from his eyes. You remember the time when you first fell in love with Jesus? And it's like, everyone needs to know this. I need to start telling people about Jesus. And then you, they're not quite as enthusiastic as you are. And you think, well, well, it's obvious. You know, Jesus is God's son. And, he, and, and so I'm moving on a little bit, which I don't intend to, but verse uh, 19, 18, no, 19. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. Imagine me in a Bible study. Saul of Tarsus is here. It says, and immediately proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? So as we finish this sermon today, what we want to do is delight in the grace of God. As we look at the conversion of this man's soul, he'll be no more saved than you and I in heaven. It won't be, the apostles just walked past. He'll be saying, I'm just thankful that I've been saved by the grace of God. 
And so this story of Saul's conversion, it begins with Saul the persecutor, and it finishes off. Saul had become a Christian. He didn't decide for Christ. God chose him and planted him in the kingdom of God. And what do we do this morning? We bow before the Lord and worship the same Lord, the one who saved Saul. If he saved us, it's to God be the glory.